Man, what an absolute nightmare. I hope nobody's having flashbacks right now. <laughs> well, hey, everyone, welcome. My name is Drew Daniels, and I work with our young adults ministry that's called 18 through 29. And uh, I'm so excited, honored, and glad to be here with all of you today. In fact, uh, you might actually see me a little more around Orion. I'll be out in the lobby a little more this fall, this whole year. I'm working with some young adults, leading some groups and some, some really great people. So if you, if you want to say hi to me, I'd love to meet you um, out in the lobby. Well, hey, you know what's interesting about this idea of last one picked is there's this thing in athletics that's called backup quarterback syndrome, where the idea is, is that quarterbacks who are backups usually feel like they have more of something to prove because they don't have the five-star recruit, and so they have to work a little bit harder. And sometimes these guys become a little more successful. And I think in all, all areas of life, there's always opportunities to be chosen for something. Whether it's um, in a job where you are selected and preferred to be the job promotion or whether it's a romantic relationship where your profile gets clicked on or uh, you're chosen to be the leader who's going to influence a a team of people, is that all areas of life have opportunities where we could get chosen or selected for something. And today we're talking about how God unseemingly actually chooses the people who maybe if it was left up to us, we wouldn't choose them as our first choice Uh, to have influence. So we're actually going to take a look at some of the characters in the Bible who God chose, even though they had some imperfections. Let's go ahead and take a look. Think God can't use you? Think he only uses perfectly qualified people? Take a closer look. Moses was not a great speaker. Jonah, well, he ran from God. Jacob was a liar. Noah got drunk. Rahab, well, she was a prostitute. David had an affair. Jeremiah was depressed a lot. Solomon was rich in wisdom, but poor in lifestyle. John the Baptist was just plain poor. Timothy was too young, Abraham too old, Lazarus, well, dead. Sarah was barren. Naomi was a widow. Gideon and Thomas both doubted, and so did Sarah. Peter lacked self-control. James and John... (laughs) They were self-righteous. Paul had a short fuse. Well, so did Peter and Moses. Actually, lots of people did. The fact is, God used ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Think he can't use you? Think again. Do you really think that he can't use you? I mean, some of you maybe didn't even realize that all of these characters in the scriptures um, had faults and insecurities and failures alike, and God still chose to use them anyways. And so today, what I really want to talk about, more than anything else, is the idea of being chosen. Because being chosen means that we were selected. Being chosen means that we are preferred. Against all of the other options is that we feel valued and worthy and capable because we were preferred over all the other candidates. And that's what's so interesting about the idea of being chosen is that there almost feels like there's a sense of competition. Like somebody has the ability to bestow value on someone and when they give it, there's only a finite amount of value. Therefore, if if someone is chosen, then that must mean that there's a scarcity of value to go around and that must not mean that there's enough value for me to have. But the truth is, is is that when it comes to being chosen, is that there's only more value when it comes to our Heavenly Father. But in the world's eyes, there's a few ways that we can be chosen. The first of which is actually through our abilities, the things that come natural to us, the skills we possess, the intangibles that we have. 
And secondly, maybe it's through our efforts, the things that we really can control, because a lot of times we don't always get the outcomes of life, but if we put our efforts forward, then we can end up getting the outcomes that we want. Maybe we put effort towards being self-aware, and then we earn the right to be chosen because we've worked so hard on ourselves. But there's one final thing that's interesting about being chosen, and it's the idea that when someone is chosen, it implies that there's an exchange that's happening. Meaning, if I choose you, that means you will be able to feel valued, you will feel worthy, you will feel capable, and in return, I hope that there's a loyalty that's given to me. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there was an uprising in a nation just a few weeks ago. And uh, I mean, it's a pretty tension-filled subject. I mean, over Twitter, there was so much warring that was going on. Um, Some of us are really familiar with this uh, uh, uprising in this nation that happened. Others of us really have no clue. And the uprising in this nation that happened was in Bachelor Nation. Who in here has ever seen the TV show The Bachelor or The Bachelorette? All right, first off, I got to see, who are the guys who have seen it? Just raise your, be bold for a second. It's okay, God's not watching, right? Okay, a few of us, all right. But there's an uprising in Bachelor Nation because, I mean, apparently, I've never really seen the show, but allegedly, the Bachelorette, Hannah B, kept choosing a guy named Luke P. And Luke P was one of the most villainized characters in all of the Bachelor history. Is it? Other housemates would purposely try to sabotage Luke P against Hannah B. But again, I'd have no idea about this because I've never seen the show. (laughs) To the point where he gets to the final rounds and he makes the final four and Hannah comes to her senses and has to apologize on national television. Now the problem with Luke P is, is that he had very, very strong convictions. Now, it's not a bad thing to have strong convictions. It's not about what you believe. It's about how you approach it. You know what I'm saying? You can believe whatever you want to. You're entitled to your belief. But it's one other thing and how you approach it. You can't be in a conversation with a girl and say, hey, for a moment, can I just cut you off for a second? And again, I'd have no clue about any of this stuff. I've only heard it secondhand. But I think a lot of this kind of stuff in our culture sends us into an outrage. Is because we can't stand rewarding people for what appears like dysfunction. Because the truth is, is that selection always equals validation. Meaning, if I make a choice, I am enabling someone's ego if I believe they have dysfunction. That means I'm validating their behavioral decisions. And so we don't like it when when people on The Bachelor don't choose somebody who we feel like is worthy of being loved and reinforced of their behavior. And I think the opposite is true too, is that if we don't like it when we see other people get rewarded for what we, what we feel like is their dysfunction, many of us feel like we've immediately dismissed ourselves when it comes to our Heavenly Father and choosing to use us as influential people because we know all our mistakes far too well. We're not proud of all the addictions that we've had. We're not proud of maybe the failed relationships in our past. We're not proud of the ways that we've raised our children. And we feel like we look to our past and it almost kind of hinders us from being able to take a step forward because we've proven to ourselves all the failure that we've had and we've proven to ourselves all the mistakes that we've made. And and so if I have to put myself out there in vulnerability and try again, is that that choice is a vulnerable choice because it means I could fail and it means that my heavenly father could actually get disappointed in me. And why would he ever want to choose someone like me? And maybe even for you, it's not even just about your shame, but maybe it's actually about your abilities. I don't have the power to communicate. I don't really know. I don't have enough Bible information to lead people into understanding of the scriptures. 
I don't, I don't know if I feel God the way that other people appear to when it comes to worship. I, don't see, I seem to kind of question all of it, if I'm really honest with myself, is that maybe for some of us, it's our abilities, but others of us, it's our efforts. And it's like, man, I don't even have spiritual disciplines. I don't, I don't engage with God. I don't choose to thank him at every corner. In fact, I, I kind of forget about him in my life. And so why would God ever choose to use me if I'm actually very fraudulent when it comes to my faith? And so today, in, in the week one of Last One Picked, we wanna focus on Moses because if it was left up to us, most of us probably wouldn't have chosen Moses. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. But here's some background if you're unfamiliar with the story. Is that Moses um, uh, existed in the time where the Israelite people who are God's chosen people were in captivity to the Egyptians. And Pharaoh was becoming so afraid of the size of the Israelites, he decided he wanted to kill all the children who were under the age of two. And so Moses' mother hid Moses in a basket and floated him down the Nile River and landed in the hands of no other than Pharaoh's own daughter. And so Moses was raised in Pharaoh's palace, getting accustomed to the Egyptian ways, yet in his identity, Culturally, he was a Hebrew man. So one day he was walking out and he sees an Egyptian brutalizing another Israelite and he ends up killing the Egyptian and burying his body in the sand. The next day he comes out and he sees two of his own people, Hebrew people, um, uh, in commotion. He goes, hey, what's, what's going on? Is everything okay? And they respond like, oh, really, it's you. So are you gonna kill us like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Because it seems to me that, you know who would really wanna hear about this? Oh, Pharaoh would probably love, oh, I think I see some fingers sticking up out of the sand over there. Yeah, by the way, murder is pretty obvious to the whole camp, bro. So everybody here seems to know it. So are you sure you kind of wanna pick a fight with us? Are you really gonna hurt us? And Moses realizes that the news of this had spread. And so he decides he's gonna abandon his post and he's gonna go to the wilderness for 40 years in the land of Midian and learning a new language and being a sheep herder and living in relative obscurity. Till one day God actually shows up in a burning bush that wasn't actually burning. And in there God says, I've heard the cries of my people, Moses, and I'm gonna send you to be my mouthpiece. And Moses, he doesn't wanna accept this invitation because he has a disability that he's insecure and maybe even ashamed of his past. This is the conversation in Exodus chapter four. It says, Moses said to the Lord, hold on, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant because I am slow of speech and of tongue. The Bible, some people think this literally translates to mean that I have uncircumcised lips that are closed and that are slow. Some scholars believe that he maybe had a stutter Others believe that at least it was probably a speech impediment of some kind that he wasn't able to properly formulate and articulate his words, which also kind of brings this idea that Moses knew three languages. And so he probably had to learn the Median language he was using wilderness and he knew the Egyptian language and he knew the Hebrew language and, and his speech was a very probably touchy subject for him. But God, he goes, hold on, I have a specialty in this kind of thing. I kind of make people speak. You should see some of my finest work. I make the best mouths you've ever seen. So Moses, I can fill your mouth if that's the problem. And the Lord says, well, hold on, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf from you? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, because I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses rejects God's invitation, even though God promises he's gonna fill his mouth and use him powerfully. Moses still rejects it. He says, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send somebody else. Because Moses rejects God's invitation to his calling because of an insecurity of his past and an insecurity of his own disability. And I think many of us, we're kind of like Moses, is that we're actually running away from our past. And we think that we're going forward, but really, you're not going forward because it's actually your past that's keeping you from taking a step forward. And you're allowing the events and the shame keep you frozen. 
Now, it's interesting. I did something really out of my comfort zone um, just recently, and I joined a rec volleyball league. Um, and I don't know if you know, if you can tell by the way my shoes look, I'm not really that athletic. But my buddy, Kurt, who is an Orion guy here, he invited me to play volleyball. And I was like, you know what? I need to, I need to get good at sports because that's what men do. And so I'm gonna go do this thing. And Kurt's, he's really athletic. He was a collegiate athlete and he played V-ball in the backyard. So he's really good. And then Kurt was so excited. He decided to invite a certain teaching pastor we know by the name of Cody Wilson to play with us. And I don't know if you know this, but Cody's really athletic because he played on the practice squad for the Detroit Lions. And then Cody gets so excited He's going to invite his wife, Jenna, who literally played collegiate volleyball at Central Michigan University, fire up chips. <laughs> and then Jenna was so excited, she was going to invite her friend, Brittany, who played at Ball State, shout out to Dave Wilson, and was an All-American center or something. <laughs> and so now I'm sitting here and I'm freaking out. Because I'm objectively the worst person on this team. And I go to Cody, I'm like, bro... I'm objectively the worst person on this team. He goes, dude, no, man, it's gonna be good. I'm like, but you didn't disagree with me, though. <laughs> he goes, bro, you're gonna be fine. It's okay. I was like, fine. So I show up. I got the sweats. I'd rather be on stage talking in front of 1,300 people talking about The Bachelor. <laughs> and so we start playing, and I have a strategy. I'm like, I'm gonna go tell everyone and kind of plow the ground a little bit and make sure they know I'm not that good, so... It doesn't look bad when I fail. So I was like, hey, uh, I'm gonna be the most improved player of the year this season. Hey, yeah, high five. And then I went over, I was like, I'm keeping this bench nice and warm, guys. <gasps> right. And sure enough, when we started playing, everyone caught wind that I was feeling a little bit not confident. And so every single time I hit the ball, people would begin to treat me like I was the team toddler. I hit it over and they'd be like, yay, come on, Drew. And I miss it, be like, hey, chin up, it's okay, man. Put your position again. I'm like, I know, I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> and I think what I realized is that so many of us, we begin to kind of tell ourselves a story of what's going to happen and therefore self-sabotage and then end up creating the very future we were afraid of. Because I realized that, of course, I started missing the ball, and, but I was also hitting it over a lot more too. And, in fact, everyone else is missing just as many shots, but they also touched the ball more because I was still objectively the worst person on the team. But isn't this what we do? As we create little stories of what's gonna happen in the future based on our own insecurities, our own disabilities, and therefore we self-sabotage ourselves and end up fulfilling the very prophecy that we foretold about ourselves, meaning the outcome that you predict is the future that you produce. The outcome that you predict is going to happen is the future that you're going to create. I don't believe that I'm going to be worthy of love, so I'm going to close myself off from being able to receive love, therefore hardening my heart and not actually being able to receive the love that I wanted. I don't believe that God can use me powerfully, so I'm just going to sit here frozen, creating conspiracy theories, and instead I'm just going to freeze. And we end up creating our own future because of the, the way that we believe our head and what's happened in the past. And we look at our past and we kind of take it out like it's this trophy and we got to shine it a little bit. Be like, oh man, like this is what's happened to me in my past. And it's okay because we need to explore it. We need to discover our past. And others of us, we take it out like it's the glory days and like back in my day in the past. Not realizing that many times the way that we recall the events of our past that actually create our future. But the future is the place of limitless possibility that God wants to work in you. Who says that you can't be used by God if you failed in your past. 
I don't think God did. So let's take a look actually for a moment, all the reasons why Moses probably shouldn't be picked. All right, let's take a look. Number one, his speech. Yes, it seems like you need to be able to talk if you're gonna guide about two million Israelites through the desert. Seems important, but he doesn't have it. Um, Number two, uh, oh, murder. That's right, it seems like God really doesn't like that one too much, but you know, God's, I guess, let it slide. Oh, then also hiding. Because he hid and he didn't really even go back for his people or try to make a difference or, you know, he hid. Oh, he also abandoned his post. That's right. Um, all of these people maybe who needed his service as somebody who's connected to the Pharaoh's palace. And then finally, oh yeah, the rejection of God's invitation to the calling that he had. That he still rejected the call. And God is frustrated at this because he says, okay, that's fine. You can reject this. I'll have someone else do it, but you're still involved, boy. You ain't getting off the hook because I'm going to choose your brother, Aaron. And your voice in his ear will be as if it was God's voice in his ear. It says, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses in chapter four. What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him, that even though you are so unworthy, that your voice, your counsel will be as if it's the Almighty speaking into your brother's ear, and his words will actually be your words, and your words will be like they were my words. Do you realize that God's intention for Moses was that he would be the mouthpiece if he didn't reject it? Meaning that God fully intended for Moses to still be the communicator in this whole thing. But Moses said no, and God's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, do something with this. And I think when it comes to our insecurities, we turn down God all the time. We look at ourselves in the mirror and say, well, hold on, that's a terrible weakness, and I can't be used powerfully by him. Or I'm too afraid, I, I don't wanna put myself out there and serve, I don't wanna be known and needed, I don't wanna maybe go and school partners because that's terrifying to me. But I believe that God believed in Moses even when he didn't. And here I think it's, what, we, what we're taught is it's our imperfect parts that God uses to win hearts of the people around us. It's actually the very thing that you are insecure about, that you're hiding, that you're ashamed of, is the very thing that God actually wants to use in your story to impact many people and win hearts. Meaning that some of us in here today, some of you have a lot of fear in your life. You have so much fear and you're threat forecasting every relationship. You're worried about how people look at you. You're worried about things falling apart all the time. You're worried if everything in your job is gonna be going okay and you can't stop worrying and worrying and worrying. But here's the thing, is that your fear actually makes you the bravest person that we know because every day you have to show up to fear and learn how to deal with it so that when someone else is experiencing fear, it's like you've been preparing your whole life for it. Some of us in here, we feel like we doubt the whole thing because we don't feel God that maybe the way that everyone else seems to. And we question all of it. But what's so interesting is that Jesus cares a little bit more about questions than he cares about answers. Because Jesus asks questions more than he gives answers because answers close problems and questions open. Because maybe you are supposed to lead people in a journey of discovery and the process where God is actually found, which is in the mystery and the discovery and not just in the answer. And that your doubt is actually the very thing that makes you one of the most faithful people that we know. Because you chose anyways in the midst of your own insecurity. Or maybe for you, your your vulnerability, it just reveals all your secrets way too quick. 
And you can't help but just always be talking about all the ways that you failed and that you don't feel worthy, but it's your vulnerability that will make other people believe you are a port and a place of safety so that people will open up and you will take people in your vulnerability to a place of victory because it's our imperfect parts God uses to win hearts of the people around us. And God will not use it in spite of you. God will use it because of you, just so that he can demonstrate how powerful he really is. He doesn't feel bad for you. He wants to use you. He wants to show you that you are far more capable and to use the very thing that's been holding you back to win hearts of others. And so here's the question some of you are asking, okay, well, what does it even mean to be chosen by God? And in the Bible, when you see that word chosen, a lot of times it does refer to the fact that we were chosen to be recipients of God's grace that brings us into the kingdom of God. And so we are chosen to be loved by God. But I do believe in the scriptures, God also says that he chooses people and he appoints people to have influence. It says that he appointed David according to the integrity of his heart to lead over all of Israel. That God wants to choose people to have influence inside of his kingdom. And so maybe there was... Um, Actually, another reason that Moses was picked. Moses was maybe picked by God because he grew up in Pharaoh's palace. And in Pharaoh's palace in the region of the Nile, it was an education center. So he learned the language of the Egyptians. He learned geography. Even though he got lost in the desert for 40 years, he still learned it. And I'm a millennial, so I probably wouldn't do better because I, I need my phone everywhere I go. It was his education that allowed him to use words, treaty words, to help form the covenant between Israel and, the, and Yahweh. That God actually used what happens in Moses' story, and it says, he said, nothing was wasted in your time. In fact, I have a very specific purpose for you. And a lot of times, it's our history that allows us to create a story. That what happened in your story then, too, will be used to write history in other people's lives, is that nothing was wasted. And so why are you covering it up? What are you running from that's actually keeping you staying still? What are you covering up in your life that needs to be shared and illuminated? What are you afraid of other people seeing that's actually making, holding on to you even more tightly than you're holding on to it? And so Jesus, he uses this parable to say, Man, so many people are actually invited into a calling, into a purpose I have for them. In fact, he tells a story of a great banquet. And he says that all of these people were invited and the people who were invited represented the Israelite and the Jewish people. He says, you're invited to experience the kingdom of God was the metaphor. But then a lot of the Jewish people rejected Jesus as the banquet host. And then said he had to go invite all the Gentiles or the people of the nations to come just so that he could have the room filled. And this is the metaphor of the parable. But there's a line that I think haunts me and I hope it haunts us today at the very end. So he's speaking to the Jewish people concerning this and he says this. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. I gotta survey that thing. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Another person said, I need to go watch preseason Lions football, but excuse me, I need to go light myself on fire. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. 
And I think so many of us are a lot like the people who received the invitation. Because we feel like being chosen is a value game. And we turn it into that competition we talked about. And we need to, we need to prove to everybody else that we have all this oxen. Because then we'll be accepted. And we didn't realize the destination wasn't about getting oxen. It was about going to the banquet where our father was. And we make it this competition, but here's the thing is Jesus followers, we don't chase competition. We live out of a place of calling. We don't chase other people. We don't chase and focus our attention on leadership or getting attention because so often when it comes to church settings, for those of us who've decided to follow Jesus, if we make leadership about getting attention, the moment we don't get attention, we're out. Or if we make leadership about getting accepted, the moment we don't get accepted, we're out. The moment we come to a gathering and we kind of feel like maybe it's not for me and it doesn't spark joy, we Marie Kondo and we thank it for its time and we throw it out. You guys know Marie Kondo, right? Netflix, okay. We don't chase competition, we live out of a calling. Craig Rochelle has a commentary by the Bain Research Group where they examined 33 traits of, of a leader and they found that the number one trait was a trait called centeredness which simply means somebody who lives out of an internal alignment. They're guided by their values and no one would ever say, oh man, that person's so centered. But in fact, it's the way that they live their life. And I believe as Jesus followers, we need to be obsessed with mission. We need to be pulled by a calling, guided by our values, internally aligned with the Holy Spirit of God, listening to his voice. That no one needs to wake us up out of our spiritual bed every morning, we wake up fresh with calling. Because no, we, we know why we're alive. We don't just need to know what our mission is. We need, to know to, we need to know why God has us there because it's actually the imperfections in our calling that will make us win hearts of other people. So the king at this banquet is furious. He says, go to the streets and call everyone. And it says, good and bad. Call anyone to the point where the whole banquet hall was filled up. And then the king encounters a guest and he says this, but when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed the man wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. And the king said to his aides, bind his hand and feet, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is the line I hope haunts us. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called into the adventure and the invitation of God to do great things, but only few are chosen. But you wanna know what the criteria of being chosen is in this story? It's the people who said yes to the invitation. In fact, there was a guest who did say yes, but he didn't change his clothes. And if we have said yes, we need to reorient our life, change our clothes, we need to reorient our life to, to the yes that we gave to God. Because even Moses, when he said yes, and he said, okay, God, I'm gonna go follow. He had to go back to Egypt, go into the hall, talk to the king, be doubtful in the middle of the plagues and still experience a hardened heart of Pharaoh. Is that there's always suffering when it comes to mission. In fact, Paul even says, I urge you to live in a manner worthy of the calling that you've received. To reorient your life around the yes because you've been called by God. And the people who've been chosen decided that they wanted to say yes and have chosen to reorient their life around a yes. And I actually think this is the perfect time to receive our offering because I think some of us in times of desperation, maybe we're not praying people, but in times of desperation, we cried out to God because our future was so uncertain. And we said, God, I'm gonna trust you 
I'm gonna look to you, I wanna follow you because I believe that you are a provider. And then when God provided, we kind of maybe didn't reorient our life and say, God, you've blessed me so generously and you've given so freely to me and I want other people to be able to experience what you've given to me. And for those of us who are Jesus followers, this is a moment for us to be generous and say, God, you've done such a work in my life, I wanna pay for the person's seat next to me. Says God, you, uh, it's a, I, I wanna give because, because when I see people uh, who, who are serving, they're not just gathering all the children in elementary school to say, hey, let's here have an event and let's say, hey, we love you and support you. No, we have people who are in the trenches who are loving and forming relationships and writing cards. So if you decide to be uh, generous here with us here today at Kensington, then you are actually being able to take the ground that some people are, are working on. And if you're a guest here with us today, hey, there is absolutely no pressure. We do not want your money. There's no pressure to participate. And there's actually a few ways you can give. You can text the word Kensington to the number 77977 and it'll actually spit a link back out at you. Or you can actually give online over and over again through the website. But the one thing I think I wanna emphasize with you is that I don't think God cares about how it looks for you to follow him. I don't think God cares about how it appears. You wanna know why? Because Jesus in the book of Isaiah says that there was nothing in his appearance that would attract us to him. That there was nothing magnificent about us that we should worship or marvel at who he is, but instead he came just as a man. In fact, Philippians 2 says that he emptied himself in humility. He didn't even equate being God. He didn't even say, no, I'm not even equate myself with being God. Instead, I'm gonna serve. That even Jesus, he came to, to serve. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He says, I'm willing to do the will of the one who sent me. That I only want to do what I see my heavenly father doing. And God, not even as I will, but as you will. That in Jesus's economy, if you are too big to serve, you are too small to lead. Because love goes low. And humility is a choice that you do. Humiliation is something that happens to you. And when you choose to get low, you can't fall off the floor. And he wanted to serve. And he wanted to be willing to do whatever the Father wanted. And I think if we want to say yes, we have to be willing and able, even if we fail, to say, God, I'm gonna follow you wherever you go. Now, my wife and I did something pretty crazy about six days ago. We got a puppy. I'm officially a dog dad. I've never had a dog in my life, but uh, everyone's gonna ask me, so I'm just gonna show you a little video clip. This is, his name is Moose. He's an English white lab, nine weeks. And this is him sleeping and dreaming. Come on, look at that. He thinks he's running. <laughs> and I gotta tell you, it's very hard to choose and select which puppy you want. You're evaluating all your options. There's like 15 of them. They're all super cute. And when we got there, my wife immediately had a, a favorite. And I'm going and I'm parading all the other options. And I'm like, oh my gosh, look at this one. He's chunky, you really like chunky animals. And she's like, no, I kind of have this favorite. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay, what about this one? He's really chill. I mean, you can shake him around. And she's like, no, I don't want that one either. And she just had this favorite. And, and she looks at me, she goes, okay, Drew, like, which one do you want? And I was like, honestly, I kind of like that one because it has a really nice white coat. I mean, it's got great white fur. And this guy's kind of got a little bit of yellow, but I just want this and I don't remember that every time I see him. And, 
And I realized that Nat, my wife, she didn't care about the cosmetics, about how cute the puppy was, how white the fur was. What I'm trying to say is that my wife is a lot like God. Right, honey? (laughs) It's that God doesn't care about the appearance. Do you want to know the reason why Natalie chose this dog and it was her favorite? I found this out later. It's because when she called the dog, it came to her. And that when it came to her, she was able to form a connection with it. And then in the connection, when she invited it to run, it ran with her. And I think when it comes to our Heavenly Father, He doesn't care about the cosmetics. He just cares about people who are going to be obedient to His commands. Because if you're obedient to His commands, He's able to say, I can form a connection with you. I can run with you. I can use you. You want to know why? Because God can use a yes. God can use a yes more than He can use a no. He says, you think you're done? Don't say no. You think you're over? I'm not done with you yet. God, if you are still working, then I am not going to be done waiting. So maybe for you, it's time to say yes to the invitation to be used by him. I want to invite you just to stand with us or maybe you even want to sit. If you are free to do that, you can stand with us. We're going to go into a time of worship and I want us to celebrate our heavenly father that he chooses to use us, that he is good even when we feel like he's not. Maybe for us, he's asking us questions and questions open. And maybe we feel like we're in the middle of the mystery, but this is a time to say, God, you are good regardless of my situation. So I'm gonna invite you to stand. Father, we thank you so much, God, for your love and your care and your, your invitation. And Father, today we, we wanna say yes to you. And for those of us who maybe we haven't said yes, God, we choose to be honest with you and vulnerable right now because we believe that you can do a work that we could never do. And God, we wanna be used by you and we wanna be available to you. And so God, we thank you for your love and your affection and that you choose to use people. You use our imperfect parts to win hearts, God, that you are author and creator of the world, that you are the, the beginning and the ending, that there is a story that's being written, God, and you have not finished writing it. And so we declare before you, God, that we wanna say yes to you. Maybe right now, even in your own heart, you can begin to say in your mind, God, I choose to say yes to you. I choose to worship you. God, I don't know where you are, but I'm gonna choose to submit to you. And so God, we know that you have good things in store for us because you work everything out to the good of those who love you. In your name we pray, amen.